This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The Law School of America in Criminal Law. The intoxication defense is a defense by which a defendant may claim diminished responsibility on the basis of substance intoxication. Where a crime requires a certain mental state, mens rea, to break the law, those under the influence of an intoxicating substance may be considered to have reduced liability for their actions. With regard to punishment, intoxication may be a mitigating factor that decreases a prison or jail sentence. Numerous factors affect the applicability of the defense. Variation Societies have varied in their attitudes and cultural standards regarding public intoxication, historically based on the relationship between religion and drugs in general, and religion and alcohol in particular. In some instances, consumption of a mind-altering substance has formed the basis of religious or other socially approved ceremonies and festivals. In others, intoxication has been stigmatized as a sign of human weakness, of immorality, or as a sin. Secular approaches may also vary having less inherent opposition to drugs but acknowledging that these may affect the inhibitions that help to keep socialized individuals from breaking prevailing social taboos which may or may not have been expressly criminalized. The attitude of a legal system to intoxicating substances can affect the applicability of intoxication as a defense under its laws, a system strongly opposed to a substance may even view intoxication as an aggravating factor rather than a mitigating one. The effect of intoxication on criminal responsibility varies by jurisdiction and offense. The criminal code in question may require proof of various levels of intent. This may range from premeditation, through various degrees of intent or willingness to commit a crime, general recklessness, and finally no intent at all in some instances of strict liability. Intoxication may serve as a defense against proving more specific forms of intent. If so, its potential effectiveness will sometimes hinge on whether the defendant's intoxication was voluntary or involuntary. The defense would be denied defendants who had voluntarily disabled themselves by knowingly consuming an intoxicating substance, but allowed to those who had consumed it unknowingly or against their will. Voluntary and involuntary consumption. A distinction may be made based on whether the defendant chose to become intoxicated and is thus responsible for their diminished control or not. As an example, in the Dutch current defense, see the Gallagher case in English law on intoxication, the accused hates his spouse but fears to take action. The accused therefore buys a bottle of brandy and a sharp knife. In the morning, the bottle is empty, and the knife is in the spouse's heart. Because the accused had a plan and weakening the inhibitions by drunkenness was a part of that plan, an intoxication defense is not feasible. But if, at a party, a bowl of fruit punch is spiked by someone who secretly adds gin, the resulting drunkenness is not voluntary and might be considered a possible defense. A sharper distinction is drawn in Islamic law, where involuntary intoxication may remove criminal if not financial responsibility, while voluntary intoxication has no effect and the accused is treated as if sober. Foreseeability test. The presence or absence of liability may hang on a foreseeability test. The fact that the consumption of alcohol or the ingestion of drugs may cause a loss of control is well known. Thus, anyone who knowingly consumes is, at the very least, reckless as to the possibility of losing control. If they did not wish to lose control, they would not consume, so loss of control must be within the scope of their intention by continuing to consume. 
but loss of control is not instantaneous and without symptoms. The issue of involuntary consumption is therefore contentious. In most legal systems, involuntary loss of control is limited to cases where there is no real loss of control with noticeable symptoms. Thus, for example, in many states, the blood alcohol level for the commission of the offense of driving under the influence is set sufficiently low that people might exceed the limit without realizing that they had consumed enough alcohol to do so. Leaving aside the issue that, in some states, this is a strict liability offense excluding drunkenness as a defense, there is usually a requirement that the person who spiked the drinks be prosecuted in place of the driver. This reflects the fact that the commission of a crime has been procured by the actions of secretly adding the alcohol and the practical fact that without this rule, too many accused who are only marginally over the limit, might be encouraged to blame others for their intoxication. In the U.S., the Model Penal Code also includes the possibility of pathological intoxication whereby a medical condition allows a small amount of alcohol to cause disproportionate intoxication that the drinker could not foresee. More generally, the defense would be denied to people experiencing symptoms of intoxication who continued to consume the spike drink because they ought to have known what was happening to them. Equally, if no further consumption occurred but they ought to have recognized that they were affected by an unknown substance, beginning an activity such as driving would not fall within the defense. In other words, the policy underpinning the operation of the law favors the protection of the public as against the interests of an individual who recklessly or with willful blindness exposes the public to danger. Offenses of basic and of specific intent. In some states, a distinction is based on the nature of the mens rea requirement. While voluntary intoxication may not be a defense to an offensive basic, sometimes termed general, intent, it is allowed as a defense to offenses requiring a specific intent. This term refers to two separate types of offense. 1. A limited number of offenses require a further element of intent beyond the basic intent, where the mens rea is no more than the intentional or reckless commission of the actus reuse. This additional element is termed specific intent. 2. The inchoate offenses such as attempt, solicitation, and conspiracy require specific intent in a slightly different sense. The test for the existence of mens rea may be a. Subjective where the court must be satisfied that the accused actually had the requisite mental element present in his or her mind at the relevant time, see concurrence. b. Objective where the requisite mens rea element is imputed to the accused on the basis that the reasonable person would have had the mental element in the same circumstances c. Hybrid where the test is both subjective and objective. The rationale for the existence of criminal laws is as a deterrent to those who represent a danger to society. If an accused has actually committed the full offense, the reality of the danger has been demonstrated. For where the commission of the actus reuses in the future, a clear subjective intention to cause the actus reuse of the full offense must be demonstrated. Without this specific intent, there is insufficient evidence that the accused is the clear danger is feared because, at any time before the commission of the full offense, the accused may change his or her mind and not continue. If a specific intent in either sense is required and there is clear evidence that the accused was too intoxicated to form the element subjectively, this fact is recognized as a defense unless the loss of control was part of the plan. This, however, is of little value to defendants since there are almost always offenses of basic intent that can be charged and or the basic intent offenses are usually lesser included offenses and an alternative verdict can be delivered by judge or jury without the need for a separate charge. In English law, note the controversial Jaggard v. Dickinson which held that, for the purposes of the statutory defense of lawful excuse under S-5 Criminal Damage Act 1971, 
a drunken belief will found the defense even though this allows drunkenness to negate basic intent. This is limited authority and does not affect the generality of the defense. Examples of specific intent crimes include first-degree murder based on premeditation and deliberation, attempts, burglary, intent to commit larceny, larceny, intent to steal, possession of or receiving stolen property, intent to steal, and robbery, intent to steal. General intent crimes include arson, rape, common law murder, and voluntary manslaughter. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. The age of criminal responsibility is the age below which a child is deemed incapable of having committed a criminal offense. In legal terms, it is referred to as a defense of infancy, which is a form of defense known as an excuse so that defendants falling within the definition of an infant are excluded from criminal liability for their actions, if at the relevant time, they had not reached an age of criminal responsibility. After reaching the initial age, there may be levels of responsibility dictated by age and the type of offense committed. Under the English common law, the defense of infancy was expressed as a set of presumptions in a doctrine known as doli incapax. A child under the age of seven was presumed incapable of committing a crime. The presumption was conclusive, prohibiting the prosecution from offering evidence that the child had the capacity to appreciate the nature and wrongfulness of what they had done. Children aged 7 to 13 were presumed incapable of committing a crime but the presumption was rebuttable. The prosecution could overcome the presumption by proving that the child understood what they were doing, and it was wrong. In fact, capacity was a necessary element of the state's case. If the state failed to offer sufficient evidence of capacity, the infant was entitled to have the charges dismissed at the close of the state's evidence. Doli Incapax was abolished in England and Wales in 1998 but persists in other common law jurisdictions. Terminology. The terminology regarding such a defense varies by jurisdiction and sphere. Defense of infancy is a mainly U.S. term. The age of criminal responsibility is used by most European countries, the U.K., Australia, New Zealand and other Commonwealth of Nations countries. Other instances of usage have included the terms age of accountability, age of responsibility, and age of liability. The term minimum age of criminal responsibility, MACR, is a term commonly used in the literature. The rationale behind the age of accountability laws are the same as those behind the insanity defense, insinuating both the mentally disabled and the young lack apprehension. The age of criminal responsibility. Governments enact laws to label certain types of activity as wrongful or illegal. Behavior of a more antisocial nature can be stigmatized in a more positive way to show society's disapproval through the use of the word criminal. In this context, laws tend to use the phrase, age of criminal responsibility in two different ways. 1. As a definition of the process for dealing with an alleged offender, the range of ages specifies the exemption of a child from the adult system of prosecution and punishment. Most jurisdictions develop special juvenile justice systems in parallel to the adult criminal justice system. Here, the hearings are essentially welfare-based and deal with children as in need of compulsory measures of treatment and or care. Children are diverted into the system when they have committed what would have been an offense as an adult. 2. As the physical capacity of a child to commit a crime. Hence, children are deemed incapable of committing some sexual or other acts requiring abilities of a more mature quality. Discussion. This is an aspect of the public policy of parents patriae. In the criminal law, each state will consider the nature of its own society and the available evidence of the age at which antisocial behaviors begin to manifest itself. Some societies will have qualities of indulgence toward the young and inexperienced, 
and will not wish them to be exposed to the criminal law system before all other avenues of response have been exhausted. Hence, some states have a policy of dolaincapax, for example, incapable of wrong, and exclude liability for all acts and omissions that would otherwise have been criminal up to a specified age. Hence, no matter what the child may have done, there cannot be a criminal prosecution. However, although no criminal liability is inferred, other aspects of law may be applied. For example, in Nordic countries, an offense by a person under 15 years of age is considered mostly a symptom of problems in child's development. This will cause the social authorities to take appropriate administrative measures to secure the development of the child. Such measures may range from counseling to placement at a special care unit. Being non-judicial, the measures are not dependent on the severity of the offense committed but on the overall circumstances of the child. The policy of treating minors as incapable of committing crimes does not necessarily reflect modern sensibilities. Thus, if the rationale of the excuse is that children below a certain age lack the capacity to form the mens rea of an offense, this may no longer be a sustainable argument. Indeed, given the different speeds at which people may develop both physically and intellectually, any form of explicit age limit may be arbitrary and irrational. Yet, the sense that children do not deserve to be exposed to criminal punishment in the same way as adults remains strong. Children have not had experience of life, nor do they have the same mental and intellectual capacities as adults. Hence, it might be considered unfair to treat young children in the same way as adults. In Scotland the age of criminal responsibility was raised from 8 to 12 by the implementation of the Age of Criminal Responsibility, Scotland, Act 2019, which came into force on March 31, 2020. In England and Wales and Northern Ireland the age of responsibility is 10 years, and in the Netherlands and Canada the age of responsibility is 12 years. Sweden, Finland, and Norway all set the age at 15 years. In the United States the age varies between states, being as low as 6 years in South Carolina and 7 years in 35 states, 11 years is the minimum age for federal crimes. As the treaty parties of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court could not agree on a minimum age for criminal responsibility, they chose to solve the question procedurally and excluded the jurisdiction of the court for persons under 18 years. Some jurisdictions do not have a set fixed minimum age, but leave discretion to prosecutors to argue or the judges to rule on whether the child or adolescent, juvenile, defendant understood that what was being done was wrong. If the defendant did not understand the difference between right and wrong, it may not be considered appropriate to treat such a person as culpable. Alternatively, the lack of real fault in the offender can be recognized by rulings that dispense mitigated criminal sentences or address more practical matters of parental responsibility by adjusting the rights of parents to unsupervised custody, or by separate criminal proceedings against the parents for breach of their duties as parents. By country. The United States. The reduced age varies by state, the full age also varies by state. At the state level, 33 states set no minimum age of criminal responsibility. For federal crimes, the minimum age of criminal responsibility is 11. Massachusetts has the oldest age of criminal responsibility at 12 years old with no exceptions while North Carolina has the youngest age at 6 years old. Canada. The reduced age is 12, and the full age is 18. United Kingdom. The reduced age is 10, and the full age is 18. 10 in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Usually persons aged 10 to 11 will only be imprisoned in very serious cases, such as murder. Even more so the outcome for youth, 12 to 17, criminal proceedings are usually age-categorized, currently it will depend on whether the offender is under 12, under 14, 
under 16 or under 18, with the older the offender the more severity of punishment, especially for serious crimes. 12 in Scotland. Children under 12 can't be convicted or get a criminal record, from 12 to 15, a decision is usually made by the children's reporter whether to refer to a children's hearing, which can lead to a criminal record, but could be prosecuted for a criminal offense if the offense is serious. Child imprisonment. Child imprisonment is a concept in criminal law where people are considered not old enough to be held responsible for their criminal acts. The main problem in most countries is whether children should be punished as an adult for crimes committed as a juvenile, or if special treatment is a better solution for the offender. Juvenile courts. In some countries, a juvenile court is a court of special jurisdiction charged with adjudicating cases involving crimes committed by those who have not yet reached a specific age. If convicted in a juvenile court, the offender is found responsible for their actions as opposed to guilty of a criminal offense. Sometimes, in some jurisdictions, such as the United States of America, a minor may be tried as an adult. The Law School of America the content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America